Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. about you, uh, let me just ask you the question, how many in the room, and I mean, be honest, how many in the room, you hear God speak to you through an audible voice? Does God, or has God ever spoken to you in an audible voice? Like you literally hear my voice, hands are going up in the room. Uh, That's amazing. God does, he doesn't communicate with me a lot that way. And uh, most of the time, I would say more times than not, he speaks to me in a whisper. It's a whisper. It's that still, small, delicate voice that he communicates to me. Anybody else, you would say, hey, that's the majority. And I'm speaking to believers. If you're not a believer here this morning, um, and one, one thing is that all believers have heard the voice of God because the scripture says that uh, no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draws. So the Spirit draws, he woos, he's the one that calls your name. You don't, you say, well, I found Jesus. No, you didn't find Jesus, he found you. You were the one lost and in need of a savior. And so he calls your name, so you respond. Or maybe you say, AJ, it's been a long time since I've heard God speak. And there's some things that affect that. I'm not going into that vein, but my, my goal and my purpose this morning is to go after, because I ask the question, if anything, it's for me. I'm asking, God, why is it that you don't speak audibly to me? Because it would be a lot easier, right? I'd, it'd be a lot, I mean, I wouldn't mess it up as bad as I do, but why do you speak in a still small voice rather than an audible voice? So that's really what I wanna go after this morning. And uh, if, you're, if you're not a believer, like I said, the spirit of God draws. You're not here, nothing in life happens by coincidence. I don't believe in that. Nothing happens by luck, it happens through blessing. I believe that, uh, I truly believe that, that God blesses in those ways. But anyway, um, I wanna take the story of Elijah the prophet and I want to pull and hopefully communicate some things to you this morning of what I feel, why that God whispers and reasons that he does. There's just a few, but you, you may have a few more. But I look and I think about the story of Elijah the prophet. It's, it's strange. I mean, he's known as one of the most powerful, potent prophets of the old covenant. If uh, many of you have ever, it's, it's not Eli. There's a difference from Eli and Elijah. But Elijah the prophet, uh, we know that into the New Testament, that he's on the Mount there with uh, the Mount Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses shows up and he's a representation of the prophets. And obviously Moses is there, so he represents the law. But in the first mention of Elijah the prophet, we see him drop literally almost out of nowhere. And I think it's first Kings chapter 17. And he points his finger in King Ahab's face. And if you know anything about King Ahab or Jezebel, they were a bad duo. They were, uh, I don't know if you want, if it's as bad as Bonnie and Clyde or what, but they were rough. They were a rough couple. And, and Jezebel, uh, this is not disrespectful in, in her, to her at all, but that chick is so bad and so wicked that she makes it all the way through the Old Covenant into the New Testament into the book of Revelation. Her name is mentioned there. But Ahab is known as a powder, a manipulator. And Elijah shows up and he points his finger in Ahab's face and he says, it's not gonna rain until I say it's gonna rain. And all of a sudden, 
It's just kind of like he vanishes. We go through a little bit of a story. You can read it for yourself and you can see where God directs him to the brook Cherith and all of this stuff and he performs some things. And the next thing you know, he pops up again and says, hey, it's fixing to rain. I think it's like two years later and he proclaims a, a storm that's coming and it does. I mean, the, the, flood, the rain falls and, and, uh, and then, then we move a little bit further and we get into the Mount Carmel showdown, which is where Elijah the children of Israel and the prophets of Baal. Now, if you understand anything about Israel's history, you can see that Israel was bad to, for a stint, serve the Lord and then fall back into this pattern of rebellion and idolatry and witchcraft and all those things. And so they're in this season because of their leadership, Ahab and Jezebel, and they're, they're worshiping the Baals and uh, um, the paganistic gods and their idol worshipers. And it would be just simply like if we were to go down to the court square in Savannah and drop a Baphomet or a, or, or a statue of Satan and people are gathering around, well, we wouldn't do that, you know, similar to what's happening in this situation. And so in this setting of scripture, Elijah says, we're gonna settle this once and for all. The God that answers by fire, he's gonna be God. And so they agree to it. They're on the mountain and they build an evening sacrifice and Elijah lets them go first and the prophets of Baal begin to dance around the sacrifice, crying out to their God, cutting themselves. And, and, uh, and Elijah's mocking them. He says, well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's uh, busy. Maybe he's doing something else. And it comes his time. And we know the setting of the story, most of us do, but he calls down the fire from heaven. And not only... Does it not only does it burn up the uh, consume the offering? It literally, I mean, the fire consumes every bit of it. He had them saturated with more water before he even called the fire down. It saturates every bit of it and just dries it all up. All of Israel falls to their face, and three times they cry out to God, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." And Elijah looks at the prophets and he says, "Seize them, the prophets of Baal." He says, "Seize them and kill them." So in that moment. They slaughter 450 prophets of Baal because God's heart was to rid the land of sin and idolatry. And the, the news of this event gets back to Jezebel. And again, she wore the pants in this relationship. It gets back to her and she tells a messenger, she says, the God's due to me and worse than that if by this time tomorrow we don't kill him. Now, this is my question. Now, when I, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible, I'm thinking, okay, if your intention is to kill him, why not send the messenger, hey, Elijah, and walk in like you're gonna read a message and then ice him in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Take him out right then. Instead of like send a, why, why did she send a messenger? Because she wanted the whole nation to know that your hero was on the run because that's what he did is he went on the run. And Elijah, what can happen to us whenever... I, and I, I'm not just using this in ministry. God can use you in different ways. Maybe you've given in a big uh, uh, amount. Maybe it's financial or maybe you've done some type of feat. We can begin to take the glory for ourselves and the pressure and the weight. I'm not saying that's what happened to Elijah because if anything, he should have been, at, 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 uh, he should have been uh, so full of faith because the fire fell, right? The fire should have fought. I mean, when the fire fell, he should have been sitting at this place of thinking, man, God, what, just the relationship status between he and I were tight. But at a word from Jezebel, he goes on the run. And the weight and the pressure, I don't know, of the magnitude of what he did, thinking that, hey, look what I did. Somehow the weight of that, insert pastoral joke, he caved in, so to speak, and went into a cave and he goes into hiding in this moment. 
And this is where we see Elijah the prophet. So if I could, here in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can open to it. 1 Kings 19. I wanna look at verse nine and read this. It says in verse nine, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then God spoke to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Verse 13, I'll stop here. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I wanna pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment of time, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to share with these people. And I pray, God, that the word that you've put into my heart would not fall uh, on, on deaf ears, but it would actually hit its intended target. I pray over the hearts of people in the room. Let their hearts be open and receptive for the word of the Lord this morning. And I pray over them and their circumstances and situation, God, to succeed in what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna talk to you this morning from the subject of the whispering voice of God, the whispering voice of God. And here in 1 Kings, the setting I've read, tried to give you a little bit of backstory coming up to the, to the setting of scripture. Um, I wanna talk about reasons that God whispers. And, and in verse nine, the Lord comes to him in the cave. I, I love the way that it's displayed and laid out. It says, and there he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It came into this place where it was his deepest, darkest place. Uh, uh, he was depressed, no doubt. You can read some of the previous settings of scripture where he goes out to a broom tree and an angel shows up and feeds him and he goes in that strength for 40 days, but he's in a state of depression. He's just praying, God, take my life. Anybody ever prayed that, prayed that before? God, just take me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't have nothing else to give, just take my life. And so this is where he's at. But the first thing, the first thing that I wanna point out here in the scripture, when the Lord came to him in a cave is to see one of the reasons why that God whispers because he's a confidential God. God is confidential. He comes into the moment of Elijah's worst uh, place of his ministry. And we think about confidentiality. Let's just talk about that for a moment. I, I just pull from my perspective if I can. I still to this day, I'll still go and sit before a leader that's in my life and give him uh, free reign to speak into my life. I used to do that multiple times with, uh, with, uh, with Pastor Philip. When we'd go into his office, I would sit down and I would, anything that he saw, I would give him, hey, correct it in me. Whatever you see, it was a confidential conversation. It was between he and I. When God comes to you, it's confidential. He deals with you one-on-one. -on -one. Now people say, well, what about if he tells somebody that? But I'm talking about you specifically and exclusively. He comes into your moment exclusive and begins to, uh, uh, to, to, to draw, to woo, to speak, to correct in areas of your life. And, and you think about confidentiality. The reason why that God comes confidentially is because he's looking to instill confidence in you as well. Not only does he come to me privately and exclusively, 
He's looking to instill what's in him that's in you. Um, your walk with him is personal. It's, it's not, doesn't include anybody else. It's between you and him. It's one of the things it talks about in scripture that, that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's your own in the sense of where it's exclusive between you and him and it's confidential. And you think about it, when you whisper, it's meant to be confidential. If you look across the room and you're, or maybe it's uh, uh, important information, I'm, I'm not gonna shout it from the stage and tell people something uh, if it's only meant for one specific person, right? You don't do that. It's, it's exclusive between you and the person that you're desiring to hear it. So when we whisper something, it's usually because we only want that person to hear and we can only think that Elijah's in that cave. There's nobody else in there, maybe some creepy crawlers or whatever, but it's just him and whatever else is in the cave and the Lord comes in. And there's these moments whenever the Lord shows up to you exclusively and he only tells you something and he doesn't want everybody else to know. It's between you and him. If it's God's secret, then you're gonna need his permission to share it. How many of you have ever had that? Like, especially in something the Lord spoke specifically to you, it's not meant for every, every other ear. It's only meant for you. Um, and I think about the scripture, just to give you some, some, some scripture here to back this up. Psalm 25 and verse 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. He will show them his covenant. Now, we have the fullness of the covenant revealed through us through Jesus. I mean, he's demonstrated this. There's, there's things that are, that are hidden that are yet to be revealed to us. It's like he told his disciples. He said, there's things I would love to tell you, but I can't right now. You're not ready for it. There's more to be revealed to us. And the only way that it comes is obviously through the gate of intimacy and exclusive confidential between you and him. The, the thing about this scripture as well is when I look at that and it talks about with those who fear him, but the struggle is, do we truly understand the fear of the Lord? Now I'm still in confidentiality, but let me just take a moment on the fear of the Lord because I feel, I feel like it's lost sometimes in our, in our understanding of thought. The fear of the Lord means awe, reverence, respect, worship. When you worship something, you give all value to it. That's why we talk about that for eternity, we will worship the Lord because you're never gonna be able to give him his full worth. So you're just gonna spend eternity worshiping the Lord. So fearing God means that I'm in submission. Not only is he savior, because everybody wants him as savior, but he becomes Lord and therein lies a lot of the issue is because I'll get into it in my next point. But the struggle is when we fear the Lord, it's no longer your own will. Self-will no longer has anything to do with it. it it's, it's God's will and it, or it's no will. It's, it's his will, it's his way. But how do we respond in the confidentiality moment where God comes into your cave, into your moment, and begins to speak and deal exclusively with you because he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? So he's, it's one-on-one. -on -one. He comes in, so what are we supposed to do? And here, here's an acronym, and uh, I'm not big on acronyms, but I heard it one time, and so it holds pretty, pretty, pretty true. The acronym is HOT. H stands for humble. You have to humble yourself before the Lord. When God, when some... That's the only way that confidential conversations really truly happen is there's a humbling of one another to say, hey, it's, you're coming to me in confidence. I'm not sharing this. This is just between you and I. So you're humble. You humble yourself before the Lord. The second thing is, oh, and it's being open before the Lord. God, I'm gonna be open. This is a confidential conversation. I'm gonna tell you everything, all of my struggles. And that's what Elijah does as he begins to open up, even though his perspective is completely uh, selfish, right? You look at it, it's very selfish. But you have to be open before the Lord. Every one of us in this room, you've gotta be open. I said this on a couple of Wednesday nights. God cannot change who we are pretending to be. You have a mask on and you come before the Lord 
God knows every, listen, he created you. We just did baby dedication. He knows everything about you. He knows all your hangups. He knows your propensities towards specific sins. He knows which way you're bent. He knows what you're gonna do when you get up tomorrow. So why not be open to him? And the last thing is be transparent. Tell him everything. If you're struggling with lustful desires of things, or maybe it's the opposite sex, or maybe it's the same sex, I don't know. You're lustful in all of these desires, or maybe you struggle with, with, uh, with certain disorders or whatever it may be. You've got to be transparent with him. God, forgive me for having these thoughts and call it what it is. Pastor Eddie preached on a Sunday morning one time and he was talking about it. We, it's, it's, call it what you want to, it's sin. You're missing the mark. And, and for me, I've got to be transparent and just say what I am. Lay it before him and let him work it. Let him change it. God, this is my struggle. I messed it up 130,000 times yesterday, but I know your mercies are new again this morning. So I'm coming and I'm saying, I'm removing the mask and letting you change me. Not who I'm pretending to be, who I'm, I am. This is a confidential conversation between you and I. So he whispers because he's confidential and he wants to instill his confidence in you to be bold before him. Does that make sense? Okay. So in verse nine, the B clause of verse nine says, the Lord responds to him as he says, and it's in a whisper and I feel weird when I do it. So I'm not gonna whisper again. I may do it later on if I feel bold enough, but what are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him the question, what are you doing here? Now, you've heard this, but God, when he asks you a question, is not looking for, he's not looking for information, right? It's not that, he knows where he's at. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They partake of the fruit, they sin, they cover themselves because they're, now their eyes are opened and they go into hiding and God shows up and he says, where are you? I mean, if you understand, he knows. What he's doing is he's getting you to examine your heart and your state of where you are. Where are you, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So here's my second point. He's, he's confrontational. I know that may get a negative connotation to some, but God is very confrontational. And I'm thankful that he is. Now, let me just say this for just a moment because some people, if you enjoy confrontation, we have a, we, we have a negative bent on confrontation. confrontation. Confrontation is supposed to be good. Um, the problem is a lot of times what happens is that in confrontation, someone approaches it with the wrong heart. How many of you know you can say the right thing with the wrong spirit? Sure can. But confrontation between people can be misconstrued and it can be a big uh, misconception. One of the reasons why is because if the, the heart and the attitude is not right, we step in with anger and with wrath and we say things we don't mean. But when it's prayerfully done, it can be done and handled correctly. Uh, the problem is, is we're in an age where a lot of offense, people get offended at the slightest thing. And so what happens is we harbor offense before we harbor a conversation and we don't get to the heart of the matter. Are you with me this morning? That's important. I, I, don't, I don't wanna harbor bitterness or unforgiveness. I wanna have a conversation. Let's, let's get to the heart of it because the goal is relationship and reconciliation. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's scripturally based, right? It's what Paul said, the apostle Paul says. So God is very confrontational. He comes up to confront Elijah, where you at? And uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 12, when we look at it on the screen, it's really powerful. I love this verse. It's one of my first ones I learned growing up. For the word of God is living and powerful. Listen to this, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, sorry, King James, the division of soul and spirit. Now, I could stop right there and we could just, the word of the Lord is sharp. 
And when God speaks to you, it's not human confrontation. Sometimes it can be, but let me deal with you from the perspective of when he whispers confrontation, when he whispers to me one-on-one, dealing with me in something confidentially. When the Lord deals with my heart about something, his word hits right to the matter. He doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. It comes right into my heart because that's the word of God. He speaks it. The word of God is sharper than any two, it's a two-edged sword. Why not it be just one-edged sword? Because the word of God, here, here it is, the word of God cuts, but it also heals. So when God confronts you, he's looking to cut you in areas, but he's also looking to heal you. Now, look at John 15. Let's think about that for a minute. Are you with me? Are you focusing? Are you sleepy? Did you get enough sleep last night? Hopefully you did. But John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, it's, it's on the topic of pruning. He said, you're already clean for the word I've spoken to you. What does he mean by that? He said, when I spoke to you, I pruned you. I trimmed you. And it's almost like the disciples missed it. You know what I'm saying? It's like a lot of times they missed it. He would be speaking words of correction, but he did it in such a way because he was cutting, but he was also healing in the process. Whenever they desired to be great into the kingdom, what did Jesus do? He didn't rebuke them for their great desire to be great in the kingdom. He just redefined it, right? So, when the Lord speaks to you and he's confronting you about you, he's cutting, but he's also healing in the process because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, how many of us really need to have that division between soul and spirit? Because sometimes it's like, okay, all right, Holy Spirit, is that you? All right, is this my spirit? Because I know it's willing, but my flesh is weak. Wait a second, God, is that you? Wait a second, is, my, is that my wife or is that Holy Spirit? Because sometimes the two go together from time to time. Man, I'm just trying to help you out today. My wife has probably got the baby somewhere around, but, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. Corny pastor joke, but, um, but it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's kind of dividing. Okay, is that, is that soul? Is that spirit? What's going on? Is that me? Is that my emotional state? Um, but God speaks and he's never gonna contradict his word. It's always gonna come from the place of word. The Lord speaks rhema, which is a freshly spoken word, but he also speaks from the logos word and he'll confront you. He'll confront you about your lifestyle. He'll confront you about sin in your life. He'll confront you about decisions that you think is okay if you're willing to listen because he's very confrontational. And it goes on to say, and he is a, uh, um, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I love thir verse 13, it says, and there's no creature hidden from his sight. So therefore you're transparent before him, whether you wanna be or not, you're very transparent before God. But all, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When God whispers, he confronts, not to destroy or demean you, but for you to understand your personal spiritual state. Now, here we go. Let's talk about listening because he's always talking, he's always whispering. But here's the question to you and you gotta answer this. Do you listen to God on your terms or do you listen to God on his terms? That's you. Do, am I listening to you, God, on my terms or what I desire and what I want or am I listening according to what you desire? The whisper of confrontation is to remove the, the soulish infection, the wounds and the things that we let hemorrhage over years and years and years of maybe it's situations and things that's happened to us and the toxic work of humanism. You understand that humanity left for ourselves you get the world in the state that it's in right now. I heard a quote one time and I love it. The reason the world is on fire is because the church isn't. And I agree with that. So humanism 
and self-will-ism, I'll just tag that on there, that's a problem. God shows up and he says, hey, I'm either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. We don't want the Lordship of Christ because it's a confrontational relationship. I mean, he'll confront me. Now I'm, I'm bearing the image of like, he's just laying the hammer down. No, no, no. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling and he woos and he cuts and he heals and he prods and he moves and he shapes. That's why we have grace, not a license to sin, but to empower me to live the Christian life. That's what it's for. So if the sense of when God speaks to me, I don't want him to stop speaking. You, you know what Romans says about that? It says that if you refuse the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit for a period of time, your conscience will get seared with a hot iron and you'll be open to whatever. It's like God says, okay, let's just turn them over to their own selves and see how that works. Heard something some time ago that said, and this, I'll give you a moment to think about it because it can really mess with our mindsets, but humanity, you with me? Just a few nods, all I need, just like in a meeting, just move forward. Humanity without Christ at the center is demonic in nature. Think about it. You remove Jesus out of the equation, what are you left to? Selfish own personal desires. He's got to be the center. No one wants to become septic in their soul. And the natural, we understand some of you have actually been septic before in, in, in the physical body and how dangerous that can be. Those We have a lot of people in the medical field that's in this room. We don't wanna be septic. So therefore, you need the whisper of confrontation to your personal life for God to, to, to move you and direct your steps. Um, here's one thing that I know personally that God's done to me quite a bit. God will confront my mind to reveal what's in my heart. Now, he will never, he will never tempt my heart. Scripture says he won't tempt it. But he has no problem, he has no problem confronting your mind to reveal what's in your heart. And he has no problem confronting what your mind understands about the word of God to see the truth. He wants the truth to come forward. God desires truth in the inward parts. That's what the psalmist said. You desire truth in my inward parts. God wants truth out of you. But you understand that the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So God will say things. He will bring people into my life and I'll get challenged by certain circumstances and situations. When the pressure's on, Elijah, when the pressure and the weight is on you, what are you gonna do? God offended his, he, he, he went into fear. Elijah freaked out and goes into a cave hiding. His fear flipped in a moment of time, goes into the cave hiding and God has to confront him to get him out of this moment. But God begins to confront his mind to see what's in his heart. When the pressure's on, we'll see what's in you. They always say that adversity always brings out the best or the worst in people. When the pressure, the weight of it hits me, the problems, your business, you think about it, the weight and the pressure, are you gonna be willing to do, walk with character and integrity in your business? Or when the boss isn't looking, am I gonna be willing to, to walk in, in character and integrity? God is committed to character, not fruit. I mean, excuse me, not gifts. You understand? God is committed to developing you as a person. Giftings are a dime a dozen but he'll confront us to work us and shift us and mold us into the direction that we're supposed to go. Now, Elijah responds back to the Lord, has this conversation with him and says, hey, they've done all this stuff. So it's almost like Elijah was saying, they did all this, but I am alone. If you read and go on to read the story, you can see that the Lord tells him, he says, Elijah, I've reserved 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not by yourself. He was into a place of self-pity, depression, and oppressed by the moment he had forgotten 
the power of God in that moment. And let me say this about the loving confrontational whisper of the Lord. We hear the scripture and it's powerful. Love is patient, love is kind. We, we read all that, but I'm gonna tell you something. Love is not nice all the time. It's patient, very patient, and it's kind, oh man, but it's not always nice because God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are, does he not? And I'm thankful. I don't want him to ever stop speaking to me. When he confronts me, I wanna make sure that it melts me like butter before his face. And I'll just lay there before, God, thank you for confronting this to me because it needs to be adjusted. It needs to be removed. I don't wanna become spiritually toxic or septic to where I, you turn me over to my own affections. You have a plan, God, it's not my plan, it's your plan, and I wanna be submissive. I wanna surrender. I wanna, I, wanna, uh, I, I wanna make sure that I follow along with the plan that he's got for me in my life. Um, and what happens, and let's talk about the voice of confrontation because God, listen, let me ask you a question just to involve us all. Have you ever been confronted by the Lord? Has he ever confronted you? Lift your hand if you have. God's ever confronted you about attitudes, all these things. He'll confront you. He does, and he has a way of doing it, and, and it's done through different voices in our life. I'm telling you, I had it's, it's different leaders that's been in my life at different seasons. I would always hear their voice, but it was the Lord speaking to me in that regard. When the Lord confronts you in areas of your life that needs change, you respond in one of two ways. You ready? You respond out of rebellion or you respond out of obedience. Simple enough, right? You either obey his word or you rebel from it. Uh, delayed obedience is disobedience, okay? So it's either rebellion or obedience. The scripture says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, it's gonna be on the side screens. The scripture says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, Pastor AJ, I'm not pulling out a Ouija board. I'm not going and setting myself into a five-point star and a pentagram and, and doing a seance. But rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And listen to this, stubbornness is as the iniquity, the propensity bent towards that specific type of sin. It's the same as idolatry. Now, you may not have an idol erected in your home, per se, not a Buddha. Maybe we have other idols. Maybe I have to be careful because I'll enjoy football, but I have to be careful that that's a, that doesn't take up precedent in my own personal world. But this scripture lays out, and, and I wanna talk about this for just a moment. Do you know the difference between rebellion and stubbornness? Anybody? I'll give it to you. A rebellious person says, I won't do it. Now, a stubborn person says, I'll do it, but I'm gonna do it my way. Rebellion person says, I won't do it. The stubborn person says, I'll do it, but it's gonna be my way. Stubbornness is as idolatry, and here's the reason why. Because a stubborn person worships their own opinion. Yeah, my way's the best way. So this is the way it's gonna be. I'm spending some time on this because I know specifically when God speaks to us, we have two ways we can go. Obedience, I'm gonna flip it. Let's go obedient. For those of you, the, the majority of the people in the room, 99.999% of the people in the room that's very obedient, let me speak to you for just a moment. Obedience to God's whisper releases revelation. You know, when I said that Jesus told his disciples, he says, I have a lot to give to you, but I can't give it to you right now because you're not ready for it. It's weighty, it's meaty. That's what revelation is. Revelation is not something new per se in the world. It's something that's already in existence. It'd be like if I covered this, this podium right here and all of a sudden I just, it, it was covered with a sheet. You didn't know what was behind it, but I lifted the sheet. Guess what? You would see it. It would be revealed to you. It's always been there. It's just now revealed to you. 
So your obedience unlocks and releases fresh revelation. What do you mean, AJ? How do you, what are you talking about? So when I read scripture, God will begin to unveil things. And I'll give you something that I have been reading for a long time here in just a moment that God just re released to me. But your obedience releases the revelation of God, the revelatory facet of the Lord that he wants you to see into him. That's what intimacy is. Into you, God, I see. And so my, but my disobedience, it keeps me from the revelation of the Lord. That's how powerful surrender and obedience is. Even if nothing else happens in your life, if you just have an obedient spirit, man, God can do so much with you. He can take you places. He can elevate you. He can promote you because you're obedient to the word of the Lord, what he says scripturally, and to those voices that you have around you of wise counsel. You need to surround yourself with people that have wise counsel. But that's why you need the confrontation of the Lord. That's why he's, his whisper releases, if I'm obedient to it, it releases revelation because God can unlock things in me and take me places and connect me with people for greater relationship and greater breakthrough and greater abundance and greater prosperity. It's all through the gate of obedience. And here's the last thing. It's really about where I've been working to get to this morning. Because when I talk about the whispering voice of the Lord, one of the reasons, if not the main reason, and, and I, I text a few of my campus pastor friends, I was like, can you tell me, why do you think God whispers? I already had the answer to it, but personally for myself, I'm just saying because I understand why God whispers to me. And every one of them said the same thing. The reason God whispers to you is because he wants you close. He wants me close. He's confidential, he's confrontational, yes, but he also wants me so close. It's just, I think of it in the sense of a married couple in the room or someone that is dating in the room. I've seen spouses and, and, and people in, in places that they're having conversation. It's just whispering a little sweet, probably not, I love you in their ear. Tell them how beautiful they are, how handsome they are, whatever it is. But to whisper in their ear, it's, 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 uh, it's affectionate, it's, it's simplistic. Now, sometimes I have my mom and she's here this morning, used to whisper in my ear. And half of the Briley family can't whisper anyway, so... Uh, I knew everything that one of my uncles said every time we were in service as a kid, but my mom would pull me close and, you know, and it's like, you know, you're in trouble. And then when dad come off the stage and we got home, I was getting beat. Like the, and that's like, you know, I did hear the voice of God. Can I just, I'm sorry, I just ruined a moment, but I have to say as a kid, sometimes I would hear AJ and I knew, is that you God or what is that? And then you'd hear the slap of a belt coming off and then boom, 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 there you are. That's not the type of nearness I want, dad. But the reason that God whispers is he wants to pull me close. He's not, listen, I'm gonna tell you something to everybody in the room. He will not scream above the noise of busyness. Everything in this culture, you gotta fight for that. He's not gonna do it. One thing, the scripture calls him Jehovah Kana, which means he is the jealous God. That's one of the Jehovah's we don't get a lot. And that's in the sense of husbands uh, and wives. It's that relational, like if somebody's macking on your, on your, on your spouse, there's a pro I haven't used that word in so long. Forgive me, okay? Don't hold that up to me tomorrow. I'm gonna get real. I don't know what the term is these days, but anyway, when, when they're hitting on your spouse and that jealous fury comes in, that's, that's who God is. He's jealous for me. He wants me all to himself. He wants exclusive rights to me. He wants to walk in nearness and with intimacy with me. He's a loving father, but yet he's also the bridegroom who is to come. And he loves my soul so much. And the Lord tells him, tells Elijah the prophet, Demetri, if you would come. The Lord tells Elijah the prophet, he said, get out there and stand on the mountain. Elijah responds to obedience and steps out on the mountain. 
The scripture says, though, it's interesting because the scripture says he wraps his face in his mantle. Do you know what that translates to our society? I won't hear it. It's funny, Elijah, you're covering your ears. You're wrapping your face in your mantle. You're hiding from your calling. You're trying to ignore his voice and he's speaking internally to your spirit. So that's very smart, Elijah. Just go ahead and cover your ears. So he, he wraps his face in his mantle and he steps out. We don't even know how long he stands on this mountain. We have no clue. And the Lord begins to come through and with, with a windstorm. The scripture says that he wasn't in it. He comes through with uh, the earthquake. He wasn't in it. He came through in the fire. God wasn't in it. He was in the still small whisper, the voice, that, that whisper of intimacy is what he was in. What are you doing here, Elijah? Exodus 33. I wanna read this is because this stirs my spirit so much. These are the two verses, Exodus 33 and Deuteronomy chapter 34. And I wanna give you some take on this. Exodus 33, 11 says, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And flip it over to Deuteronomy 34, 10. But since then, there's not arisen a, in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew. That word knew is yada, which means intimately between a husband and a wife, that intimate. God and Moses, there was an intimate fellowship and a relationship. What God desired for the whole nation of Israel, by the way, you can look at that. Notes, Exodus 19, you can check that out yourself. But here, here was my personal revelation. The problem is, is we in the West, if we don't figure it out right now, we're frustrated. Like, oh, I can't understand, it's frustrating. But in the East, you know what? If something is opened up to them, seeing from the eyes of Jesus in the East, if something is not, if it's revelation to them, they've heard it, they don't get frustrated. They long for the day to celebrate when the revelation comes. Such a big difference, right? Between the East and the West. I learned recently that <laughs> Hebrew face-to-face -face actually means this. It's, we could pull a married couple up here to stand on the stage and have them grab hands like I'm, I'm marrying a couple and most of the time they'll take hands and stare at each other affectionately across each one another and have tears in their eyes and a love for one another. Some of y'all remember that, right? Standing across from your, your spouse, your significant other. And they can look at the, in, into each other's eyes, but that's not what it's referring to. It's not face to face. They could then lean in and put their foreheads together, nose to nose, forehead to forehead and look deeply if they could into one another's eyes, but that's still not what face-to-face -face means. Then they would lock up in a marital kiss affectionately. That's what face-to-face -face means. That's what the Lord meant when he said, I knew Moses face-to-face. Face-to-face, that's it. I don't think it bothered Moses too much that maybe, and this is my personal opinion. He went up on the mountain. God said, I want you to go up on this mountain. You're about to die. You know, you're not gonna be able to step into the promised land because of your disobedience. I don't think it bothered him that much. Dirt, an object. I've known God face to face. I don't care if I see it or not. I've been in the presence. I know him face to face. So when God whispers to you, he longs to pull you close. He's not gonna write you, right? If I'm whispering on the stage and I don't have my mic on, you're gonna have to walk from the back of the room and come close to hear what I'm saying. That's why I say he won't lift his voice above the noise of distraction 
and us getting derailed because we lose sight of Jesus. He's not gonna shout above the busyness. You have to be one to hear his whisper and the wooing of his voice because he gave you free will to choose. Do I wanna come close or like the rest of the children of Israel? No, Moses, you go up on the mountain and you be intimate. We'll do what you say for us to do. No, God wants you to come close. That's the goal this morning. That's what God longs for you. God wasn't in the busyness of the manifestations in Elijah. Listen, he has been. Think about the wind in the book of Acts. God was in the wind. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter two, where they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, he was in it. God has been in the earthquake, just ask Paul and Silas. At midnight, they're singing psalms to God and power of God hits the jail and begins to shake it. An earthquake, he, God was in it. God was in the fire, the three Hebrew children walking. And the king says, I see three, but now there's four in the fire. And one looks like the son of man. He's been in the fire. Sometimes we have to see what God's not in, or excuse me, we have to see the manifestations of these things come before us so that we can learn to see, well, God's not in that. How many of us have ever had a situation say, God's not in that? He's not in that. No, God's not in that. This is what he's teaching Elijah. If you can withstand and, and, and not, because a lot of us would have seen the first manifestation, say, God's in that, I'm good. I'm going back into the cave, I'm good. But he wanted Elijah close. And then throughout their conversation, and I can close this up this morning, throughout the conversation, the Lord ends up giving him marching orders, reviving his spirit. And Elijah goes and anoints three generations, three generations, and also his successor to step in and do double the works, double the ministry. If he would have stayed in the cave, it would have never happened. But God wants you close. His whisper this morning, it's confidential, it's confrontational, but yet he desires you near and close because he's got to work for you. Come on, stand to your feet if you would. Let me just pray with you for just a moment. I want you to hear it for yourself. Maybe the Lord's whispering to you this morning and speaking to your heart. I want you to just, uh, just put your, stretch your hands out in front of you to receive. Father, we thank you for your gentle whisper. God, that you speak sometimes it's audibly and sometimes it's a whisper. But God, we know more probably more times than not that you're whispering to us and you're speaking to us. And I pray that we would tune into the frequency of the Holy Spirit this morning to hear. Come on, ask the Lord, say, God, give me ears to hear. Swift to hear and slow to speak, God. You gave me two ears, which means I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I speak. Give me ears to hear. Come on, maybe it's in your life where you just need to open up your heart. Maybe the, for the first time, you've never given your life to Christ. And God's saying, I'm speaking to you, I'm moving, I'm drawing you in for salvation this morning. Scripture says that it's through confession of the mouth from the heart that salvation is done. It's from my heart, through my lips. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you this morning. It's you and the Lord, if you've never been saved before, it starts right there at salvation. Father, forgive me of my sins, I'm sorry. Jesus, thank you for your blood. The scripture says that your blood atones for my sin. It, 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 it pleases the Father. So I thank you for the blood of Jesus. Without it, I can't come boldly before the throne of grace this morning. Or maybe for some of us, the Lord is just breathing fresh vision. He's reviving you personally. 
to get back on track. He's confronting areas in your life where there's sin. And he's asking you, listen, hand it over. Drop the weights this morning and those things that's besetting you. I'm giving you an invitation this morning to step into a greater relationship. That's what I wanna do is just the end of the service, just give some space there between you and the Holy Spirit. Let him speak to you. Let Jesus begin to speak into your heart of hearts. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.